All right. Let's go ahead and we'll uh, get started then with our first session of our Bible Feasts Bible Study. And this one should be a really interesting one. There'll be a lot to get through and hopefully as we go through it, we'll try and see how all of this has its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So we'll start there on uh, session one, the first page there. And we're going to sing that hymn that's there by Isaac Watts. I think the tune is familiar, so we'll, we'll give it a try here. It's one of those ones that Pastor Moline's going to make sure he starts on the right note here, because otherwise we might be in trouble. From all that dwell below the skies, let the Creator's praise arise. Alleluia, alleluia, let the Redeemer's name be sung through every land by every tongue. Can compare with the Lord. 
who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings. In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, we're going to be looking at Bible feasts, so we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the Old Testament. Um, that's where these particular Bible feasts, um, God tells us about them, uh, lays them out, explains what to do with them, uh, and um, that's where we'll spend quite a bit of time. There's going to be a whole bunch of different Bible feasts that we're going to talk about. Uh, of these, there are a couple ones that are super important, uh, like Passover. Um, we still kind of celebrate Passover today, don't we? Does anybody know how? Lord's Supper, uh, and especially then we remember that uh, with Monday, Thursday, and Holy Week. Um, another important one is Pentecost. We even still celebrate Pentecost and call it Pentecost. Um, and uh, the, the other one that's important that we'll talk quite a bit about is the Feast of, um, the Feast of Booths, and, and we'll get there talking about that as well. And I think when we talk about it, it'll make sense as well. So there's those big three ones, um, chief amongst which is probably the Passover, uh, but there's also a whole bunch of smaller ones that are important as well. And so to start to get a kind of our mind wrapped around what the different feasts are that we're going to talk about, we're going to turn to Numbers chapter 28. Numbers chapter 28. And um, this is where a lot of those, not all of them, but a lot of those feasts and days are laid out. And so we're going to spend the first bit here going through Numbers 28 and 29 uh, to look at those different feasts. Um, Numbers 28 is just a little ways after, just to kind of give some context. Um, the people of Israel have left Egypt. And they are wandering in the wilderness, is kind of the way we normally say it. Um, and they're on their way up into the promised land eventually. And uh, they take a census of how many people there are. It's also the book, just a little ways before this, uh, if you look at Numbers 22, uh, you remember the story of Balaam and his uh, where I mean the radio, right? His donkey, is that? <laughs> we say it that way? Uh, that's not the King James Version. Uh, Balaam and his donkey, where uh, Balaam's about to be struck down by the angel of the Lord, and the donkey saves him several times, and then Balaam starts to beat the donkey for not going the way that he wants, and the, the donkey says, why are you beating me? Don't you see that God's going to kill you? Uh, so it's always a great comfort to us as pastors that God can even bring his word through the mouth of a donkey. So we should be okay uh, also. 
Um, Numbers 28 comes just a little ways after that. And you'll see question one here isn't, isn't formatted the way that we've kind of been used to. We have some blanks to fill in. And so we're going to work on getting those blanks filled in as we talk about them. So to start with, um, let's read, uh, I think, verses 1 through 8. So it says, we begin our study of the Bible feasts with a detailed list that God gave to his people through Moses. Numbers 28, 1 through 8. And I think we have enough people here. Can we just kind of S curve through the group of people here and each read a verse? And then we'll let the next person read a verse. And that way we can all just kind of take a turn reading. Karen, would you start us? Uh, 28.1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel to say to them, My offering, my food, for my food offering, my food and well you shall be careful to offer me Say to them, this is the offering made by fire that you are to present to the Lord, two lambs a year without the defect, as a regular burnt offering each day. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also a tenth of a ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with a quarter of an end. So, uh, Numbers 28, 1 through 8, it says, outlines the daily offerings to be given in the morning and evening of every day. Um, and so that's the first little bit there that we're going to learn about. Now, it doesn't have a question here for this quite yet, but this is a really important one, the morning and the evening sacrifice. And perhaps you know that from the Psalms, too, where it talks about the morning and the evening sacrifice. That's what was just described here uh, in Numbers. It's really, really important for the life of Christ. The morning sacrifice was normally sacrificed, and I, I guess not sacrificed, but um, the fire for the sacrifice was lit at 9 o'clock in the morning. And the evening sacrifice, the fire for that one was lit at 3 o'clock. And the reason this is so important is 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock are really, really important in a particular event in Christ's life. Does anybody know? Good yeah, Good Friday, the crucifixion. It's at 9 o'clock ish according to the words of scripture that Jesus is crucified and he hangs there for three hours and then at noon 
the sky gets dark, at which point he hangs for three more hours until three o'clock in the afternoon, at which point he cries out, he sends out the Holy Spirit, and he dies. There's the earthquake, and they kill the other two thieves that are on either side of him, and that way they can get them all down off the cross and into the tomb um, by sunset. So at 9 o'clock, as Jesus is being sacrificed on the cross, nailed to the cross, there also is the fire lit for the morning sacrifice in the temple. And at 3 o'clock when Jesus dies, the fire is being lit for the evening sacrifice. And so, in a sense, Christ is the fulfillment of these two sacrifices that we just talked about. Can you have hand up? They had no idea of the significance no, no. of those two times at, at that point. No. That's, that's one of those things where, so if we're going to do a, a timeline, the book of Numbers is written at about um, 1100, 1200 B.C. And Jesus, we know, dies at about 30 to 33 A.D. Okay, um, that's how much ahead of time God foreshadowed this for Jesus by instituting these sacrifices. And their fulfillment then, many years later, is found in Christ. Okay, so we don't have a blank there for that, but there, I think that's really important as we talk about these. These all have an ultimate fulfillment somehow in the person of Jesus, which is why God spends the time to teach us about them uh, in the scriptures as well. So, Numbers 1 through 8. It says, uh, next, it says, scan the rest. We're going to go through them together here. Verses 9 and 10. Let's pick up where we left off and let's read those verses also. On the Sabbath day, Okay, so we have a blank there, and it says, uh, verses 9 and 10 tell about the, what, what's your heading in your Bible say? Sabbath, Sabbath offerings. Um, and I should have pointed this out too. What else are they sacrificing besides lambs? Grain, Grain and drink. And when we're talking about drink here, what kind of drink? Wine, Wine right? <laughs> Why might that be connected to a sacrifice that has its fulfillment in Jesus? Yeah, the Lord's Supper again, where we eat the bread that's actually the body and drink the wine that's actually the blood. Uh, and, and so we see again, God is teaching us these things much ahead of time so that when Christ comes and fulfills them, we're not really surprised or caught off guard. Uh, it all makes sense. And he does it with other things too, right? Um, just to be fair, um, when we do a baptism, we, we read a flood prayer, which talks about Noah being kept safe in the ark while the rest of the world was destroyed in the flood. 
teaching us that the flood is actually teaching us about baptism. And then he says, and as the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, passing through the water into the promised land, also, what's that teaching us about? Baptism again. So all these things God uses to teach us uh, what to look for later on. All right. <laughs> if Pastor Moline keeps talking this much, so, uh, we're never going to get through question one, right? <laughs> so these offerings are, are to God. Yes. Uh, and he doesn't offer to, to people until Christ. Yes. Um, we're going to see kind of how that happens. When the priests are offering them in the temple, they are being offered on behalf of the people. But the people don't have to be gathered there to witness it or watch it yet. When they have their fulfillment in Christ, now we do gather together and partake in them uh, in the Lord's Supper and in, in the church service. And part of that's just a practical reason. But who's paying for, I mean, this is a lot of lambs, right? So we're uh, 365 days a year, two lambs most days. Okay, so that's, uh, what, 430, that's 430, six, 730, got to do my math right. That's why I'm a pastor, not an accountant. <laughs> 730 plus uh, for 52 of those days, you have an extra two, right? So that's another 104. So does that make 834 lambs a year? And that's just for these daily sacrifices. Who's paying for these things? The Levites raised them. The Levites raised, well, the, the lambs are raised. Um, how, how, does it have costs associated with that, Ken? That'd be my question. I don't know. What do you need to keep a lamb alive? Food. Food. Water. Water. Uh, somebody to watch them who needs food and water um, you have the priests that are there performing the sacrifice uh, how is all this paid for even the tabernacle itself and later on the temple it's paid for by offerings from the people you remember the woman uh, who goes to the temple and puts in her last mite I think the LWML talks about that. That's where the idea of mites comes from, right? Um, in the temple, they had these giant horns that were, they're basically a big funnel. And you'd put your money in there and it would rattle the whole way down into a box. And that's how they paid for all the things that happened in the temple. The people are paying for it and in that way, they are participating a little bit. Does that kind of help answer? Sure. Okay, that was a long answer. <laughs> All right, other questions? These are good. This is... Did, did the people pay according to their income? Um, yes. Um, the, the rule was 10%. 
Now, just as with any other thing, were there people who gave more than their 10%? Yes. And probably were there people who gave less? Yes. But the, the technical rule is 10%. Yep, that's the tithe. The, the Levites were exempted from that. Um, to go back, the idea is that, um, I want to say, um, back Abraham and Melchizedek, but I'd have to look to get the details. The, the Levites didn't pay the offering. Uh, the other people did. Yeah. I, you were asking another question when I started talking. Uh, <laughs> Oh. Um, oh, I, I was going to say, the Pharisees were always so picky that other people paid exactly what they were supposed to do. That Did they do a lot of record keeping, make sure people, or, or was it more like today? I mean, we're suggested to tithe, but some do. Yeah. Lots of them. I, I don't know. Um, I know there were vast records kept of family lineage and um, genealogies. I don't know if that got extended into the financial care for the temple and the tabernacle or not. I, I would have to research that because I don't know off the top of my head. Um, yeah, here at Good Shepherd, right? you're free in the gospel to give to help support the church to make sure we can turn the heat on and the lights on and ken every month he's our church treasurer goes through all the bills and makes sure we can pay them all um but it's you're free right we're not going to call karen up and say karen did you file your taxes we need a copy of your tax returns so we make sure you gave the right amount to church right we're, we're not going to do that i don't know I mean, the world's different back then, so how? I don't know. So I, that's a disclaimer. We're not going to come hunt you down and say you didn't give enough. We, we are happy to receive, but you're free in the gospel. Yeah, the, uh, the question is, when Jesus came to the temple and overturned the tables because uh, there was corruption with the whole process. And that's even corruption beyond just the, the, the tithing. They had special temple money. And so, for example, if I go to Europe, if I'm going to take a trip to Europe, um, when I use my credit card in Germany, what does the credit card company do? It changes the money. Yep. They change the money, but they also take a little bit of it. And that's what they were doing with those tables. But they weren't just taking a little bit. They were taking a fair amount, maybe is the way to say it. Okay. Too much. Too much. And there also are rules 
about the animals you brought for a sacrifice. It's supposed to be your first fruits. Meaning, well, without blemish. When I say it's your first fruits, too, the keyword being first. your, you've raised this lamb, and it's the thing that you've taken care of, and now you are offering the thing that belonged to you to God. And what they were doing instead was, uh, kind of like we do today, right? I, I raise a whole bunch of lambs, and then I go sit outside the temple, and while you're switching your money over, you think, oh, I didn't bring a lamb. Or it'd be, if you're coming from like three days away, you've got to keep a lamb alive for three days while you travel to the temple. It's easier and more convenient just to buy one when you get there, which is one of the things also that Christ overturned those tables dealing with. Because people were coming and they were just buying an animal and then going and taking it in. And the issue with that is, can you buy your forgiveness? No. I mean, it's not about purchasing. And again, you know, Karen, if she brought in her uh, tax return and we looked at it and we said, okay, you're doing enough. Then we're giving her the impression, how is she going to be saved? By, by giving us money to the church. You can buy it, right? And then wouldn't that be easy? All you'd have to do is write out a check. And you could sleep in on Sunday mornings. And you could watch you know, what's on Sunday mornings. Is not Oprah, but is she even on? No? What's, football pregame, right? That's The channels we get at our house, all that's on is football on Sundays. Um, there was an opera on and or the public television the other day, but um, you could stay home in your pajamas, in bed, watch TV, eat donuts, right? Whatever you do, instead of coming to church. That's not the way we're saved by just showing up, paying off God. All right. Other questions. All right. Verses eleven through fifteen. That's the next section there. At the beginning of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord, two bowls from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs a year old without blemish. Also, three tenths of an extra fine flour for a great offering, mixed with oil for each bowl, and two tenths of fine flour for a great offering, mixed with oil for the one ram. And with each lamb, a grain offering of a tenth of a heap of heap. Of the fine flour mixed with oil. This is for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. Their drink offering shall be half a hen of wine for a bull, a third of a hen for a ram, and a quarter of a hen for a lamb. This is the burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year. Also, one male goat for sin offering to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. All right. Verses 11 through 15 tell us about what kind of offerings. 
monthly offerings. So not only do we have daily offerings and Sabbath offerings, we also have monthly offerings. Now, it might be hard to, to notice this because we don't use uh, sheep and goats and bulls anymore for the exchange of goods, right? Okay, so, um, you know, Ashley isn't going to arrange a marriage contract for Ava where the groom's family gives them like 10 goats or something, right? Maybe she will. I don't know. Okay? Um, that's not the way we do things anymore. But if you are paying attention to the way they did things in the old days when this is being written, the monthly offering is much, much more expensive. Okay? Um, why? What are they offering? Bulls. Okay? I know for us today, the main way we get our meat is what? Well, at least here in Nebraska, right? What's our main industry for meat? Cattle. Cattle, beef, right? Because you can grow them big, and you can grow them fast, and then you can uh, cut them up, stick them in the freezer, and ship them out. And I think we talked about this last time. You couldn't do that in the old days because um, if you had a whole cow for, I've got a family of six, how long would it take my family of six to eat a cow? A long time. Longer than it would last without a refrigerator or a freezer. So you didn't grow cattle back then except for you used, this is like Oregon Trail too, right? You used oxen and bulls and cattle to pull plows. That's their main purpose because they're not food. So that's your purpose. Now, um, to kind of take it to the modern, we don't have cows that pull plows, we have tractors. And we don't eat goats, but we eat hamburgers or whatever. So which one's more expensive, your tractor or your hamburger? Tractor, okay. In fact, um, in North Dakota, they were always trying to get new combines and things. Used combines cost more than my house, okay. Tractors are more expensive because you can do a lot of stuff with them. And the same is true in the old days, a cow or a bull is magnitudes more expensive than a goat or a sheep. And they take a lot more food to keep alive. So these bulls that they're offering and sacrificing here are much more significant in those offerings. Okay? And then you have the other things that go with it. You had the goat, you had the, the wine, you had the flour. And by the way, a hen a hen is a measuring unit that's like about a gallon, and uh, an ephah um, is, I, I want to say like two-thirds, three-fifths of a bushel, right? Remember we used to get apples in a bushel basket? Um, I, I'm too young to get apples in a bushel basket, but my grandma had a bushel basket in her garage that she used to get apples from. Uh, so that kind of just gives you an idea how much these are. All right, 
monthly offerings. Questions? Who drank the wine? No one. The wine um, was taken by a priest who would pour it in a special place on the altar. And so it was just poured out onto the, the altar up there before the Lord. It gets burned or runs into the cracks and down. It's disposed of in that way. Yeah. I don't know that they poured it right where the fire was going to be or not, because I'm not sure the alcohol content was enough for it to burn. So I'd have to, to research that just a little bit too. Okay, that was 11 through 15. All right, um, 16 through 25. Where did we leave off? On the 14th day of the first month, the Lord's Passover is to be held on the 14th day of the first month. Is it 17? Yeah. And on the 15th day of this month is a feast. Seven days shall unleavened bread be on the first day for a sacred assembly, and do no regular work. Present to the Lord, present to the Lord an offering made by fire, a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram and seven young lambs, a year old, all without defect. With each bull, prepare a grain offering of three cans of it, if a fine flour mixed with oil, with the ram two cans. A tenth shall you offer for each of the seven lambs. For even? seventh day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Alright. So now we're finally to one that maybe sounds familiar. Uh, and what um, <coughs> feast is verses 16 through 25 talking about? Passover. The Passover. And that's the one that we have the fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. Okay? Uh, that he fulfills that with his crucifixion and resurrection, the week of Passover. Okay? All right. And we'll, we'll talk more about Passover, I guarantee. So I don't want to go into too much depth here yet. All right. 26 through 30. On the day of the first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. 
Here we have the next feast, and we have a name that's probably here in your Bible. And what's that name? Weeks. And we know this feast also as Pentecost, uh, because uh, Pentecost, Penta uh, is 50, and, and cost has to do with a particular sacrifice. Uh, so this is 50 days after Passover, Pentecost, but it's also known as the Feast of Weeks. Now, um, why is Pentecost such an important holiday still for us here in the church? 50 days after Jesus And what happens for Christians on that day? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, the apostles speak in tongues, meaning languages, right? Um, Median, Parthian, Elamite, all these different real languages, and they're able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ on Pentecost, uh, and to prepare the people for that, and to get them all together in the temple for that, God institutes the Feast of Weeks, 1,200 years earlier or more, okay? All right, Feast of Weeks is the same as the Feast of Pentecost. All right. Um, now we're going to keep on going, right? Chapter 29, uh, verses 1 through 6. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow the trumpet. As an aroma pleasing to the Lord, prepare a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. Which verse are we on? Three. 29.3. Also their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram. And one tenth for each of the seven lambs. These are in addition to the monthly and daily burnt offering, and they're with the grain offering. Besides the burnt offering of the women and its grain offering, and the regular burnt offering and its grain offering, and their drink offering, according to the rule for them, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. All right, so here you have another feast, and it sounded like it's not a good thing to be a sheep <laughs> in ancient Israel, right? Um, what's this feast called? Feast of Trumpets. This one makes me think of, uh, we just got through Christmas season, right? Uh, there's always on TV 
How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And uh, there's the scene at the beginning where he doesn't like Christmas because of all the noise, noise, noise. Well, this is a whole feast dedicated to blowing trumpets. <laughs> right? Um, this is another one of those feasts. This one's not as big. It's not, um, it's not as well known. And yet it's still here in Scripture. The next one is a big one, an important one, um, and, and that's the one that's here in verses 7 through 11. So, yes? Well, it says the first day of the seventh month, so is they only do that one time a year? Say, say it one more time, sorry. It says the first day of the seventh month. Mm -hmm. So does that mean that's the only time we do it? Yes. The seventh month. The seventh month, yep. And we should clarify... All these dates uh, have specific days for them. Usually, the ones we're looking at now, like um, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Passover, those are all specific days throughout the year. And we should be clear, too, that they don't have the same calendar that we have. Okay? The ancient Jewish people followed a lunar calendar, a solar lunar calendar. Solar in the sense that their day, the time of a day, is governed by when the sun goes down and when it goes down the next day, okay? So, you know, past, or the, the Sabbath starts at sunset because their new day starts at sunset, based on Genesis when it says there was evening and morning the first day. So a day begins at sunset every day, and then their month goes from full moon to full moon, okay? And that's the, the time of their month, and so that's about 28 days. Now, if you're doing the math, 12 months times 28 days, what do we know? I'll do the math here real quick, okay? I'll use the calculator this time so we're not doing it off, off the top of my head. That's 336 days. What's the trouble? It's less than one calendar year. It's less than one calendar year. And so they would have occasional leap months to try and make up the difference every so often. Because you don't want the harvest festival when you're... Um, there, thank you. Couldn't say the right word. So they'd have leap months. But their month length is based on the phases of the moon. This is why, have you seen the Passion of the Christ movie? A long time ago? When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, how big is the moon? It's a full moon. It's not just so that they can have the lighting for the movie right. It's because when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was a full moon because the first day of the month is the full moon. And the first day of the month, or sorry, the 14th day of the month is the full moon. The new moon is the first day. The 14th day is the Passover. 
We'll get it right here eventually. What? What's that? The Romans used a different calendar also. Theirs is closer to what we use. Um, in fact, one of the things that Julius Caesar did as a dictator was to update the calendar to try and get it to match the actual uh, way the sky moved. The way they come up with calendars is they look at the stars and where they are in the sky at particular times of the day. And if you go outside, you'll notice that in winter, there's different constellations than there are in summer. And so they're always trying to figure out exactly how to make the number of days match the movement of the stars in the sky. The trouble is, is that can you do that? The 24 hours it takes the Earth to turn around isn't divisible by the number of hours it takes to go around the sun. And even, did you know, I just read this article this last week, the amount of time, the speed the Earth is rotating changes all the time. Um, in the Olympics, you see the ice skater, and she's spinning around, and she brings her arms in, what happens? She spins faster and faster. When it snows up in the mountains, it puts mass from the earth higher up, and so the earth turns slower. <laughs> and when it melts and goes back down into the oceans, the earth turns faster. When an earthquake moves, uh, and even if it just moves an inch, if you take an inch of rock, the entire depth of the crust of the earth, and however far across the, the fault, and it moves an inch, it changes the speed the earth spins. And so to come up with the perfect calendar is impossible. So this article I read last week said um, they've been adding leap seconds since 2004 to make the day longer, and now um, the earth is spinning faster, so they think they have to start taking them away again. And so uh, it's kind of like daylight savings time, too. Let's just let it alone. <laughs> yeah? So you call this a lunar? Was it a lunar calendar? Solar lunar calendar. Yep. This is why then, too, we're, we're talking about it. Let's talk about it. Jesus... We say he was in the tomb for how many days? Three days. And then you look at the calendar and you think, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense, right? Because we have our English calendar, English standard modern calendar in our head. And we start our days at midnight. And so we look at it and we think, well, maybe he was there for two and a half. He's there on three days because he's buried Friday before sunset. So he's in the tomb on Friday. And then at sunset, that starts Saturday, and he's in the tomb all day on Saturday. And then at sunset starts Sunday. And he's in the tomb at sunset on Sunday. And sometime before Sunday morning, when the, the sun rises, 
right when that happens is about the time that he gets up. So he's actually in the tomb on the three days, but their days then also are starting at sunset, not at midnight, and it just makes it a little bit more complicated to wrap our brains around. So I, I don't know. That's, I think that's interesting. And it's all based on Genesis when there was evening and morning the first day. That's why their day starts with sunset. All right. Where, which, which verses? We were on the, uh, the next one, 7 through 11, right? On the 10th day of the 7th month, or the sacred assembly, you must deny yourselves and do no work. Present us an aroma pleasing to the Lord, a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, the male lamb, all uh, a year far, a year old, all without defect. With the bull, prepare a grain offering of three cans of the amber of fine flour mixed with oil. With the ram, two cans. And the, the headline in your Bible tells you what this feast is called, and what is it? Yeah, Yom Kippur, you probably see on your, your calendar to mark, right? Uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Um, this is the day that, again, has fulfillment in Jesus. The priest has to put on a special outfit, and... He confesses the sins of the people onto uh, two goats. One goat gets sent off into the wilderness, and the other goat gets sacrificed, and the blood is caught in a bowl. And then the priest goes into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, and he's supposed to put the blood on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And if on the roof of the Ark of the Covenant, the, the lid, you have the two angels with their wings, and in between the wings is God. And so the priest is supposed to put the blood between God and what's inside the Ark of the Covenant. The Ten Commandments. Between the law and God. And the blood then is in between the two to cover the sins of all the people who keep on breaking those Ten Commandments. Okay? And that's the one day a year the high priest only is allowed to go into the Holy of Holies to make that special atonement, the Day of Atonement. How's that fulfilled in Jesus? Well, who's the one who is the, the sacrifice between the people and God? Jesus, Jesus right? Um, and he's also the high priest who offers it as well. So we can get, we get into that. And we'll talk more about it as we get forward in the Bible study. 12 through 40.
and their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, and a tenth for each of the fourteen lambs. Quite the tongue twister, isn't it? The rams and the lambs and the bulls. Include one male goat as a sin offering, in addition to the regular burnt offering, with its grain offering and drink offering. On the sixth day, there are eight bulls, two rams, and fourteen male lambs, a year old, all without defect. With the bulls, Uh, let's the same process. You'll notice what with the bulls. Every day we're offering one less bull. Okay. Ten, nine, eight, seven. So let's go uh, to verse thirty-five next because we got that process going. Where where did we leave? Ashen. On the eighth day you shall have. But you shall offer a bird offering, a food offering, with the pleasing aroma to the Lord. One ball, one lamb, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish. With, <clears throat> with the bull, the ram, and the lambs, prepare their grain offerings and drink offerings according to the number specified. Also, one male goat for a sin offering, besides the regular bird offering, and his grain offering and his drink offering. These you shall offer to the Lord at your appointed feast, in addition to your vow offerings, and your free will offerings for your burnt offerings, and for your grain offerings, and for your drink offerings, and for your peace offerings. All this will be that the Lord All right. 
what's this feast? Feast of booths or of tabernacles. And this particular part of scripture doesn't tell us why it's called the Feast of Booths. Do you recall why? Why it's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles? That's a nice idea. Um, there, it's close. I mean, it has to do with the tabernacle. When they were making the tabernacle, where were they living? In the wilderness, in tents. So the Feast of Booths or of Tabernacles, the idea is they all come to Jerusalem and they all set up tents outside of town and everybody sleeps in a tent to remind them of the 40 years they spent wandering in the wilderness. Okay? We have, we'll, we'll get there. I know we're, we're out of time here. We'll get there when we talk about the Feast of Booths, how that's fulfilled in Jesus' life, because there's a couple times where it specifically mentions that Jesus was at Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths, where they were sleeping in tents, and that's what it's talking about here. Okay? And so that's the Feast of Tabernacles. It has to do with the tabernacle, but a tabernacle is just a fancy word for tent. That's why then, too, uh, John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the Greek, says tabernacled or tented. And uh, in that way, too, Jesus fulfills this particular uh, feast. So there you go. Are you excited, then? We, we, we heard about a whole bunch of different bulls and lambs and goats and... Rams, a lot of critters, every year being sacrificed. And all of those sacrifices fulfilled in Jesus. And we get next week, we'll be able to move through the questions perhaps a little further. Uh, and we'll start to talk about these feasts in more detail. That kind of can wet your whistle on the things that we're going to be talking about. Any final questions? So the obvious is that the meat, right? What's that? The the way it worked, no, not generally you didn't eat it. The priests could eat it. And the way that, that would work is you set set the sacrifices up on the altar. And they had a special fork. And a particular priest whose name was drawn out of the hat while they were burning the sacrifices could take the special fork and stick it into the fire and anything he brought out on the fork then the priests got to eat. And that's only for particular sacrifices. The other ones, what's the purpose? They're all burned up on the altar. Burned up completely. They, um, they say, if we just took a, a cow and we put it on a stack of wood and set it on fire, when the fire went out, what would be left? Ashes and probably bones. I bring that up because they're soon to release... They've been doing an excavation at Shiloh in uh, Israel, 
which is where the tabernacle was located when they got into the Holy Land. And they have discovered, the, the, uh, a guy was talking about this in Issues Etc. yesterday, they've discovered the place where all the bones from the sacrifices that didn't burn up got put. And so all, there's a stack where all the right legs are stacked. And there's a place where all the left legs are stacked. And they found that then in Shiloh, right next to a platform. And it's probably just a little bit bigger than this room, really, the tabernacle area. They found a big flat spot with stones marcating it out as a special place where the tabernacle probably sat in Shiloh. So what's that tell you? Number one, there was a tabernacle, because there's people who say, oh, there wasn't really an ancient Israel. Yes, there was. Um, and there's proof now, too. And then you have the evidence of the sacrifices like we've been reading here, also. These are the sacrifices on behalf of the whole people. We also have the individual sacrifices. So when Leonard um, does some egregious sin, he brings a separate sacrifice from all these to the tabernacle or the temple to pay for that sin before God also. What's this tell you? What's the main activity of the tabernacle and or the temple? Lots of dead animals and burning them. And a lot, a lot of cleanup. <laughs> When we get further and we, we're looking at some of this, we'll maybe have to get out a diagram of the temple. They had a whole big area with posts. Um, and you'd bring your animal in, tie it to the post, and the priest would do the sacrifice. And it was messy. It was messy. Which makes sense. Was the death of Jesus messy? Yes. All right. Well, I know we're over time. We could talk all day. Sorry. Should we close with the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.